Welcome back to Rock and Roll With Me, a podcast inspired by great music and the people who make it. I lost myself on a cool damp night I gave myself in that misty light Was hypnotized by a strange delight Under a lilac tree I made wine from the lilac tree Put my heart in its recipe Makes me see what I want to see And be what I want to be When I think more than I want to think I do things I never should do I drink much more than I ought to drink Because it brings me back you I'm ready 
Lilac Wine was written in 1950 by James Shelton. It's been covered and recorded by artists including Nina Simone, Elkie Brooks, Miley Cyrus, and John Legend. But none of these stand out the way Jeff Buckley's version does. With his beautiful vocal range, he's able to express some unnamed emotion in all of his music. It's passive but urgent, tragic and somehow peaceful. Buckley's sound is completely unique. To me, the story of his premature death has all those same qualities as his music. But before I get to that, let's hear a bit about his life. Long afloat on shipless ocean I did all my best to smile Till your singing eyes and fingers Drew me loving to your eye And you sang, sail to me Sail to me, let me enfold you Here I am, here I am Waiting to hold you I dream you dreamed about me Were you here when I was fox But now my foolish boat is leaning Broken love lord on your rocks For you sing Touch me not, touch me not, come back tomorrow. Oh, my heart, oh, my heart, shies from the sorrow. as the oyster I'm as troubled as the tide should I stand amid the breakers 
Or should I lie with death, my bride? Hear me sing, swim to me, swim to me, let me enfold you. Tim Buckley was a folk musician active in the 60s and 70s. He wrote Song to the Siren and released it in 1970. Five years before that song's release, Tim met Mary Giebert in a high school French class. In 1965, the two started dating and married after Mary said that she thought she was pregnant. The couple's families disagreed with the marriage, And although Tim's father attended, he told the priest he didn't think the marriage would last more than six months. Mary was wrong about the pregnancy, and so she and Tim decided to separate from one another. It took them a long time, and during this process, Mary got pregnant for real. And about a month after they finally divorced, she gave birth to their son, who she named Jeffrey Scott Buckley. Mary remarried, this time to a man named Ron Moorhead. During his childhood, Jeff Buckley was known by his middle name and by his stepfather's last. So as Scott Moorhead, he grew up moving around Southern California, later calling his family rootless trailer trash. Jeff and Tim met only once, when Jeff was eight. Less than a year later, Tim died of a drug overdose. Even without his biological father around, though, Jeff grew up with music. Mary played classical piano and cello. And Jeff was introduced to musicians like Jimi Hendrix, Queen, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and The Who by his stepdad. After spending over a decade learning music in California, Jeff Buckley went to New York and set himself down a new path. Free with 
For a couple years in Manhattan, Buckley often played in an Irish-owned musical cafe called Chine. He would play covers of songs, mostly, and had found himself a following within the regulars at the cafe. During this time, and for many years before, Leonard Cohen had been struggling with a piece of music that can only be fairly described as miraculous. It took him over a decade to compose. It's a piece he wrestled with and changed up until his death. Each version, performed live and recorded by other artists, was slightly different from the last, which came quite easily, as Cohen had written over 80 verses to a song we would all know as Hallelujah. Often I would want to say a bit more about a song before I throw one in. I could tell you, for instance, that it's in one of the Shrek movies, as well as countless other TV shows. I could analyze it, say what makes it what it is. But of course, Jeff Buckley can do this way better than I ever could. So here's Buckley's Hallelujah, recorded live at Chine in the early 90s. The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. When she tied you to her kitchen chair, she broke your throne and she cut your hair. And from your lips she drew the this floor, you know, I used to live alone before I knew you, and I've seen your flag on the marble arch, and love is not a victory march, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. a time when you let me know what's really going on below but now you never show that to me do you remember when I moved in you and the holy dove was moving too and every breath we drew was hallelujah God above, but all I've ever learned from love 
was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. It's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. 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 That's all. Good night. I love you so much. You're fabulous. Beautiful. And I love you. And that's all, man. Let's go drink and sleep. Hallelujah, Cohen said, is a Hebrew word which means glory to the Lord. The song explains that many kinds of hallelujahs do exist. I say all the perfect and broken hallelujahs have an equal value. It's a desire to affirm my faith in life, not in some formal or religious way, but with enthusiasm, with emotion. There's been a lot of debate in music about lyrics. Do we hear them? Do they matter? Do they influence us? Some of us, the ones who can answer yes, are lucky with a song like this. Casual tellings of biblical stories, like the reference to King David in the first verse, are mixed in with what John Bon Jovi calls the, quote, sexuality in the song. Today, it's something that's known by nearly everyone, at least in the English-speaking world, and by many people beyond. It's been covered by hundreds of people. Katie Lang said it no longer belongs to anyone. It belongs, at this point, to culture. It's been listed as one of the best Canadian songs of all time, and separately as one of the best Jewish songs. It's also on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 best songs of all time, where they quote Jeff Buckley as having said of his Hallelujah rendition, I hope Leonard doesn't hear it. Hallelujah's beginnings are surprising, considering what the song's become. It tortured Cohen for years. And when he finally decided it was ready for release in 1984, Columbia Records wouldn't put it out. It was too long. It wasn't a good song. Eventually, though, they changed their minds. But it was largely ignored by the public. 
one of the few people who heard the song happened to be this struggling but talented young guy, someone whose career could use a boost and his voice fit perfectly. I'll give you a hint here. It was, of course, Jeff Buckley. Something about the magic of this song helped Buckley get himself a record deal, and in 1994, he released an album called Grace. Cohen's voice has never really been anyone's favorite thing about him. Maybe that's why hundreds of people, especially younger ones, don't know who wrote the song. It's so universal and hymn-like. Alan White compares it to a modern-day standard in his book, The Holy or the Broken. Katie Lang explained that her mother never understood the song's lyrics, thinking they were all pure, ignoring or just not seeing the brokenness. It's an easy thing to do with Hallelujah. Listeners can get whatever they want to out of the song.
Grace came out with Columbia Records and was the first of a three-album deal. It took a little while for the album to take off, and even though the music wasn't receiving any praise, Buckley was actually named one of People Magazine's Most 100 Beautiful People of the year 1995. Buckley spent three years on the road touring Grace, trying hard not to follow in his father's messy, famous, and drug-filled footsteps. He was frustrated by rumors about his alleged heroin usage and supposed romances with Courtney Love and other celebrities. When Jeff was 28, the same age his father had been when he died, he said drugs are like Vegas, the house always wins. Fame was written by John Lennon and David Bowie and was released on Young Americans. It was inspired by conversations they had had about their lives being constantly followed by magazines and criticized by strangers. Buckley spent a lot of his life dealing with this as well. He was asked frequently to respond to rumors that circulated about him. That's a pinpoint of my life. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the whole picture. It's not the whole picture of anybody's life. Mm -hmm. It's just very sensationalist, and that's the thing that makes people stay on the channel and... I could say, well, I've just had a wonderful baby, and you're my kids, and my wife is beautiful. Yes, but uh, you've taken heroin. Is that true? Well, are you drunky right now? Are you high right now? Are you, you know, you aching for the next fix? Tell me now. Let me see your arms. It, it's not real life. This is, this is on TV. It's fiction. The only way to really know anything is if you taste it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And whether it's me or whether it's your friends, or this is the world, you know, you just can't leave it up to the media, to TV, to magazines, to MTV, Mm. to feed you life. Mm. It's somebody's corporate fiction. That was from a clip of an interview he did in Paris about a year after Grace's release. A lot of his resentment for sensationalized celebrity culture seems to come from his childhood and the little connection he had to his father. He told MTV that he respects a lot of what Tim did but other things he finds embarrassing. His music was being constantly compared to his dad's. Who sounded better? Who sounded worse? Is Jeff going to turn out like his dad? Would he make all the same mistakes? Jeff, it seemed, was a bit haunted by this. Why are we so unable to just hear the music?
Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love was the last song Buckley would ever sing. In fact, his last words were the chorus of that song. In 1997, he was driving around Memphis with his friend Keith Fody. He was starting pre-recording sessions for what would have been his second album, My Sweetheart the Drunk. The two had the idea to go play twin drum sets in a recording space that had been set aside for Buckley and his band but they couldn't figure out how to get to the building they were looking for. They had been driving around for hours without stopping to eat or drink, just listening to Fody's mixtape. They eventually gave up when Buckley got the idea instead to go sit by the bank of the river. They brought down a stereo and sat beside the famously unpredictable Mississippi. Fully clothed and with shoes still on, Buckley got up and started wading into the water. Fody called out, saying that the water wasn't safe to swim in. But Buckley drowned him out, floating on his back, singing Whole Lot of Love. Fody saw a boat pass by and yelled to get out of the way. Buckley heard him and moved. But shortly after, a bigger boat came by, sending waves across to the bank. Fody moved the stereo he brought down so that it wouldn't get wet and couldn't see Buckley when he turned back to the river. He searched for around ten minutes before calling the police, and was the last person to see Buckley until a week later. A riverboat passenger noticed a body in the water, halfway buried in other kinds of debris floating at the end of a downtown street. His combat boots and pierced belly button were all that was visible but he was soon dragged out and identified as the missing musician. Police quickly ruled out both drugs and foul play as factors in Buckley's death. He outlived his father by two years. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Rock and Roll With Me. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate and share it. For now, peace out, rock on, and I hope to talk to you again soon.
at the gate. 